and welcome to the Broadway Binge Podcast. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Hannah. And we're going to tell you the history of American musical theater by reviewing and ranking all of the most important musicals from Showboat to today. Our second episode is about Anything Goes from 1934 with music and lyrics by Cole Porter. Some of you might know this from the recent 2011 revival, which won the Broadway for Best Revival, starring Sutton Foster. Um, and yeah, and it actually turns out that Hannah and I both have seen that version, so that's basically the version we're going to be discussing today. More um, or less, but also the community theater version that I saw in my hometown. Oh, excellent. I'm really excited to hear about Great. it. Yeah, because basically <laughs> the, the, the concept of this show is that we're reviewing the underlying show itself, not any one production of it. Um, I mean, if we've seen, if it's the kind of thing where we've seen the original production of it, if that's been put on tape, then that will sort of be our base mark. Or if we've seen a prominent revival or if there's mm-hmm. an important movie, we can talk about that. But the problem with Anything Goes is there weren't, there were two movies made of it, but neither of them kept most of the songs from the original show. And there was no cast recording of the original Broadway show. So we kind of, the best thing for us to go on, honestly, is the, the newest version and just various other, uh, you know, regional right. and community theater versions. I mean, it feels like we're just talking about whichever version is the most iconic, I feel like. Right? Yeah, basically. In and a we sense, can talk about multiple. That we have access to. Right, yeah. Exactly. Luckily, we've both seen and been around a lot of shows, so... We're well positioned to do this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, and so if you if you skip the first episode about Showboat or if Great. you've forgotten, mm-hmm. uh, the way the podcast works is uh, first I'll talk a little bit about how the show got started, how it got written, um, and then we will talk about the show together. And we're going to review the show with three metrics. We're each going to give the show a score from 1 to 10 on how important was the show, how good was the show relative to other shows of its time, and how good is the show today? And then at the end, it'll get a score, and we will rank it against Showboat, and eventually there will be um, a large ranking of all the shows we've ever seen. Um, all right. Ta-da. Yeah. Great. So let's let's, uh, let's get to it. Perfect. So uh, <laughs> first, quickly, um, a little history about Anything Goes. So the music and lyrics are by Cole Porter. The original book was a collaborative effort by Guy Bolton and P.G. Woodhouse. Um, so it debuted in 1934 at the Alvin Theater, now known as the Neil Simon Theater. And the original music, the idea for a musical set on board an ocean liner came from the producer, a guy named Vinton Friedley, who was living on a boat, having left the U.S. to avoid his creditors. Um, so he was a sketchy guy. Huh. And he selected the writing team, uh, Woodhouse and Bolton were very famous, and the star Ethel Merman, who had, uh, <laughs> she was pretty new. So this is Ethel Merman, I don't want to say it's her big break. Her big break was actually an earlier show by George and Ira Gershwin called Girl Crazy, and that's where her song I Got Rhythm is from. Like, I got I'm learning a lot. This is a really good history, Jeremy. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I'm, this is, these are all new factoids for me, so I'm excited by it. Anyway. Um, also, just quick side note, if you um, look up on Google Disco Ethel Merman, uh, she did a disco <laughs> album in 1979. I've heard about this. I was recently informed of this for the first time, and uh, it paid off when I looked it up. Yes. <laughs> it so like, disappoint. If, yeah. if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> pause it right now. Google yeah. Ethel Merman Disco. Actually, so I Got Rhythm is on there, but the best one is Everything's Coming Up Roses Disco version. <laughs> <laughs> pause the podcast go over to youtube watch that and then come back uh, i love i love that we're offering little factoids here this is great just little, little suggestions you know 
I mean, it's it's really I've I've had that stuck in my head for years that disco version. Anyway, so this is Ethel right. Merman. Um, so she hadn't really been in much at that point. Um, she was born in 1908, so she was um, less than 30. She was uh, 26, I guess, when this musical came out. Um, so she was cast in it, and I guess the original draft of the show involved like a bomb threat and a shipwreck, and they were on a desert island. But then a few weeks before the show opened, there was a fire on board this passenger ship, which caused the deaths of 138 passengers and crew members. So according to one version of the story, the producer decided that it would be in bad taste to go ahead with that story. So he quickly needed to change the script, but Woodhouse and Bolton, the book writers, were in England at the time. So he turned to his director, Howard Lindsay, to write a book, and Lindsay worked with uh, press agent Russell Krause, and the two of them totally rewrote the book in two Mm. weeks. Which doesn't matter because the songs basically have nothing to do with, uh, with the story. You struck um, the nail right on the head. <laughs> yeah. So uh, last week I mentioned how pri- Showboat was so important because prior to that there were musical comedies where there was sort of like a light, sort of insignificant storyline with just a bunch of random songs interspersed throughout. And Showboat showed the world that you could have a, a real musical play with weighty subjects and songs that advance the storyline. So but perhaps it was, we move backwards, really. Yeah, that's it seems what that happened. you're suggesting. Uh-huh, and it's uh-huh, uh-huh. it's less that we move backwards and more that Showboat came out and everyone agreed that Showboat was the best thing ever. But it wasn't like uh-huh. the taste for musical comedies suddenly dried up and no one wanted to see them anymore. People still loved musical comedies. We had this new right. thing, this new musical right, play right, right. thing that Showboat invented, but people still wanted their musical comedies. So mm. perhaps what this show, which came out seven years after Showboat, perhaps what we could say about Anything Goes is that this is the pinnacle of the old musical comedy form where the songs had nothing to do with the story. Like, so in a sense, we're sort of jumping back now and looking at sort of what was already prevalent at the time, whereas last time we were looking at a standout, essentially. Yeah. And, and it, it also helps that we have this because we sort of don't need to go over any of the musicals that came out before Showboat because this is just a better example of all those sorts of shows. Right. Interesting. I like this angle for us. All right. All right. Um, so yeah, show was great. Opened 34, ran for 420 performances, was the huh. fourth longest running musical of the 1930s. I did not look up what the top three were. Um, and yeah, it was a big hit. So I <laughs> guess at this point we can just start discussing uh, the show. So I have opened great. a... Um, a list of all of the songs and I guess uh-huh. we'll just start from the top and talk about great. it. Great. Yeah, I mean I have some thoughts. I have lots of thoughts. Let's start with the songs though. Um yeah, actually what we'll do here's what we'll do. I'll just give a brief overview. Right. No of approach, the plot. no approach. Um, do we need that? Over- Alright, maybe are we assuming what what level of knowledge are we assuming here, you know? This is an important discussion. Yeah, so spoilers, just so you all know, this show has been out for a long time, so uh, it will be, <laughs> this whole thing is uh, spoiler-ridden, but don't worry, even if you've never seen the show before, and I spoil it for you now, that will not impact how you feel Truly. about it. Yeah, um, it definitely won't. Yeah, all so right, they're on the ship, there's two couples, um, there's the one guy who's best friends with the Ethel Merman Sutton Foster role, Reno Sweeney. And right. she sort of has a thing for him, but he has a thing for this other girl who's like a wealthy heiress. But the wealthy heiress is going to marry this British guy who's wealthy. Um, mm-hmm. So he wants to get with her. And then they're going to get the Sutton Foster, Ethel Merman role with the rich guy. And then meanwhile, public enemy number 13, this like mediocre gangster is on the boat. And like he's right. friends with them. And um, yeah, that's whatever. Everyone happily ever after. That's the plot. Yeah, it works out. Well, there's some there's some shit to discuss. Yeah, okay, well, so I don't know. Um, 
When I think of that musical, I think about how I've seen a really good version of it, and what made that version good was sort of independent of the musical itself, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, s sort of pausing to have really joyful big dance numbers that are just like, on this ship, which is inherently very charming, and also like, if Reno can kind of sing the shit out of it, she gets to just spend the whole play being like a fun, belty lady, you know? Um, but in a sense, I'm like, I kind of, I like found myself needing to remind myself what Anything Goes was about, because the plot is not forward in a good production of Anything Goes, I think I would argue. Yeah, so I mean, there were some funny moments. Um, it, it wasn't just a totally useless plot. There were some good lines here and there. Fair. But the lines, right. they were funny moments, but they didn't really come together for a story that you're going to carry with you for years. It was... Yeah, you know, fun, not compelling, which is fine. Like, that was the form back then also, it occurs to me now, you know. And I, I totally... It wasn't seeking to change the world, you know. And I totally agree with you that it's really just all about the production numbers. Um, I rewatched a lot of the numbers. Um, you can find, you know, like, questionable bootlegs of the 2011 version <laughs> on YouTube. Plus, um, right. you can also uh, watch, like, the Tony performance uh from 2011 Tony performance was solid and honestly yeah. i don't even think it's exaggerating this sounds like a, a huge exaggeration but i don't even think it's hyperbole for mm. me to say that the the number anything goes in the 2011 version might be the greatest production number in all of broadway history wow i need to rewatch that i don't know if i can speak to that I remember Blow Gabriel, uh, excuse me, I remember Blow Gabriel Blow as being a knockout moment, but I might be conflating the two. Wait, that was knockout too. That one, they were all in like tuxedos and anything goes, they were insane yeah. outfits. Um, and obviously I've right, seen no, like, right. I've seen like seven or eight or nine Broadway shows on Broadway. So mm -hmm. for me to say anything is the best Broadway number of all time is kind of absurd. But what I'm saying is like, I don't think that is that hot of a take. I feel like that number must be in the conversation. Like, I would like to get someone who's actually been seeing sure. Broadway shows for decades in here and who saw that number. I mean, it depends on your metric, right? You know, I think there's a version by which, like, in terms of, like, classic Broadway, you know, value system, right, of sort of, like, everything being about the spectacle, the moment, the style, you know, uh, like, the big grandeur of it. Like, yeah, I would agree. There's something, like, quintessential about it, you know, in the way that it's, like, sailors on a Ship. <laughs> no. I mean, like, like basically, yeah. whoever, if whoever, when you bought a ticket to the 2011 Anything Goes, mm -hmm. you were paying for Anything Goes and Blow Gabriel Blow, which were both unbelievable, right. and then some nice, kind of mm -hmm. funny window dressing around it, um, which is fine, right. and I think that's worth the price of the ticket. I think that's totally worthwhile yeah. ticket. All right. Well, now we gotta address, you know, um, really offensive, uh, essentially white people doing yellow face within the play mm -hmm. that doesn't hold up they were so asian well. in 2011 i segued into that yeah they were what they were asian in? actors it wasn't yellow face in 2011 don't mm, don't they pretend to be asian people don't oh you oh, play asian people mistake, yes so there were asian actors and then, <laughs> you're right, right. Uh, so what happens is asian actors Damn it, Jeremy. <laughs> and the white the main characters steal their clothes is what happens yeah and, 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 yeah, and then just sort them. of do impressions of being asian basically yeah, so they just do bad it's like and it's built into the show you know in a way that wasn't cringeworthy when it came out and now is you yeah, know I'm kind of surprised they still did that in 2011 yeah i mean i think even in the last like five years six years you know we're continuing to i just feel like it's no longer cool to not be woke about that which isn't to say you shouldn't just be woke about it but rather it's become 
part of the dialogue in a way that it just wasn't before. Yeah. You know? and, and the reason I first said, I like, oh, it wasn't Yellowface, it was actual Asian actors, is because I think in right. the original productions it was like white actors. Oh, that's interesting. So, like the actual, mm-hmm. chi- the actual characters who are Chinese were played by white yeah. people the whole time. And I'm sure they thought that was progress, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think. <laughs> Which is not I, good. I, I hope but, I'm not like slandering yeah. the 1934 production and it actually was Chinese actors. Um, yeah. Well, we'll check on we'll it. Check on we'll check on it. Um, and if not, we'll pause. Yeah, so here that so that is a real problem, and it's it's weird because it was so unnecessary. The rest of the plot, and they were already changing enough about the plot in twenty eleven. Yeah. You would think since they're changing the plot already, like why wouldn't they just excise that storyline entirely and come up with some other mechanism to to yeah. resolve it? Well, it shows you that just like it really nobody viewed it probably as offensive at the time because it could so easily be written out, but wasn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, like a totally useless moment. It's just like that was clearly the comedy, and that's, you know, what year did this thing come out again? 1923. Uh, this came out 1934. <laughs> yeah, so this is a really, this show. Luckily, the show isn't as problematic as the one we just watched in Showboat. Um, right. But we're, we're not out of baby the woods steps. Yet. Uh, we're not. We're just not out of the woods. We're not even into the woods. We're not, oh. uh, that's that'll come like three years from now. Wow. Um, so I guess let's okay, start anyway. Let's start talking about the show from the beginning. Uh, the first number is I Get a Kick sure. Out of You, mm-hmm. which you, the listener, might have heard right. of. Um, if, uh, you know, let's, let's play a little clip of I Get a Kick Out of You and go. I get no kick from champagne. Mere alcohol doesn't thrill me at all. So tell me why should it be true that I get a kick out of you? And that was a little bit of I get a kick out of you. Um, yeah, you know, it's a good song. Like it's a it's a famous song. It's good. It's classic. It's very classic. I mean, it reminds me that we had. It was essentially a pop song at the yeah. time, right? You know, that's a song that uh, a lot of people know outside of the musical, which speaks to sort of, furthermore, how, like, the show is just kind of a pop culture event, you know? Yeah, um, it's kind of a weird intro. You would think there'd be, like, a big production number. Uh, the show kind of doesn't reveal that it has, like, these massive production numbers until the very end of Act 1. Yeah. A very uh, understated right. opening, which which I, I appreciate. Yeah. I mean, I like that it's very friendship-forward in a way that the whole show is very friendship-forward. Does that make sense? Yeah, it is. Um... Like, no. it, it's sort of, she mm-hmm. says she's in love with him, but it's also kind of like, you know, we're a man and a woman, and we're friends, and it's cool, and we're going to help each other out. And we're like, on, we're on yeah, even it's footing. fun and like, playful. Neither of us has... Right. Um, yeah. Um, perfect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So after that, there's a couple... <laughs> Insightful. So after, after I get a kick out Continue. of you, there are some, you know, boring songs that aren't memorable yeah do we need to a lot of, a lot right. of plot setup we skip along we skip along what, what's what's even the next exciting thing you're the top like honestly the fact that we don't know you're the top is a great number so we, we, another yeah. iconic number so a while later um after a lot of plot which is probably this is probably the most boring part of the show because it's a lot about how you know the the guy and the ingenue are in love with each other and we don't care about them none of their songs are interesting they're all very slow no one cares um now we get to you're the top and first Let's play a little Ugh. snippet of You're the Top. Great. Please. You're the top. You're Mahatma Gandhi. You're the top. 
You're Napoleon Brandy. You're the purple light of a summer night in Spain. You're the National Gallery. You're Gobbo's salary. You're cellophane. You're sublime. You're a turkey dinner. You're the time of the Derby winner. I'm a toy balloon that's faded soon to pop. But a baby on the bottom, you're the top. And we're back. Um, so I thought it would be fun if Hannah and I talked about our favorite lyrics from You're the Top, because there are so many good ones. Great. That's oh, so good. All right, I'm leaving, reading through, to, them, to them right now. Um, why don't you take it away? What's your favorite, Jeremy? Uh, one of mine is You're the Nominee of the GOP or GOP, which mm-hmm. I, I guess the GOP was relatively new as a phrase at the time. I don't know, but it's just it's, it's so topical. So many of these are so 1934 topical, like you're a Bendel bonnet, a Shakespeare sonnet, you're yep. Mickey Mouse. Mickey like, Mouse. Mi- Mickey right. Mouse was the new hotness back then. Like Mickey Mouse is probably as new for them as like Kim Kardashian is for us. Mickey Mouse is probably newer for them right. than Kim Kardashian is for us because she's been around for a while at this point. I think that's fair. I think that's a valid assessment. That also takes us right up to my favorite lyric, which is "You're the Nile, you're the Tower of Pizza, you're the Smile on the Mona Lisa." Except it's not pronounced Lisa. You see, how I was tricked by the lyrics there because yeah. they Tower of Pizza. Um, but yeah. Pisa, Lisa. Well, there you go. Um, but nevertheless, iconic, clever, kind of uh, sophisticated, just really good, really quick, really bubbly. Yeah, it's, you know what I'm saying? It's it's such a good song. And it another thing is, it's been put over the various revivals in different spots in different contexts throughout the show. Because clearly, the song has nothing right. to do. Oh no! It's just about the list. Yeah. It's just about the fun list. Yeah, it's it's a it's a yeah. fun list. It has nothing to do with the characters of the situation. So every time they put up the show, they can put it in a different spot in a different context. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter because you know what it reminds me of though. It, it reminds me. I'm gonna hop ahead in time here. It reminds me of what makes uh, have a little priest so fun. You know what I mean? Interesting. Um, yeah, yes. it's about the sustained one-upping, but like through playful fun. Like it's that formula, I would argue, and it's a very good formula. That's really good. Or uh, Annie gets your gun, for example. Yeah, um, I can do anything uh, you can do. Right. It, I can do anything I bet, you can do. I bet right? if asked, Sondheim would not disagree uh, because he loved yeah. Cole Porter. Um, yeah, I, I have that book. Um, what's it called? Uh, finishing the hat. Yeah, finishing, finishing the, the hat. hat uh, where he like it's all of his mm-hmm. lyrics from all of his shows, and he has sort of commentary. Right. And and he, I mean he loved those people. Cole Porter, I think, was one of his faves. I don't want to put words. Hmm. I don't want to put words in Stephen Sondheim's, Sondheim's mouth, but I recall him liking <laughs> Cole Porter. You recall? Um, all right, interesting, interesting little factoid. A lot of factoids tonight for you, our viewers. <laughs> That's what we're here for. This is a this is a right. history podcast. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, that's where your your greatest talent lies, I think, in history, Jeremy Berman. Thanks, Hannah Van Skyver. You're <laughs> you going to slot yourself. Right. Oh, well. Oh, gee. All right, so anyway, where were we? We were talking about our favorite lyrics. Let's move on. What's the next uh, song? The next song is, we is Friendship, about? which I, I really liked. Um, friendship. Friendship. I like that yeah. show. I think it's fun. So that's actually, so that was not <laughs> yeah. originally in Anything Goes. That was in a different Cole Porter musical <laughs> called Dewberry Was a Lady, which was released after Showboat, um, which just goes to show, you know, again, none of these songs. So it's, so that show was from 1939, five years later. Ethel Merman and Burt Lahr of Cowardly Lion fame, mm. I believe, uh, sang that song together. 
Um, and it, Fascinating. And so in the 19... There's a revival of Anything Goes in the 60s. What was the exact year? Uh, 1962 revival is when they added that, and then it appeared again in the 1987 revival and the 2011 revival. Mm. So now that's just sort mm-hmm. of part of the show, and Sutton Foster and Joel Gray singing it in the uh, modern musical is really, really amazing. Yeah, okay, well that leads me into like needing to discuss Joel Gray, but first, before I say that, just want to bring back my thesis about it being a very friendship-forward musical, what better argument to make than the song Friendship. Yeah. <laughs> but truly, I mean, simple objectives here. Like, I'm just, I think a lot about, like, I don't know, the time in which anything goes, uh, you know, was created, like, what do we value socially? And it was just this, like, sort of, like, very, like, um, I don't know, sort of class-based in this weird way, but also, like, I don't know, I'm going off here. But, you know, set on a ship about, like, classes within a ship. I don't know, it, right? It was sort of... Am I off-base yeah, here? Yeah, and it was sort of... There's sort of an interesting sub-theme here, and this might be reading too much into what's a yeah. night show, but... All right, the, but let's go, let's go for the it. Rich, let's go for it. You have it. the rich, upper-class man from London, mm. but he's really fascinated by American American culture and Americanisms and trying to use all these sort of what we could call mm. lower-class Americanisms. And in America, right. especially at that time, um, there was so much emphasis on how we didn't have a strict class system like England and people could intermingle and you could have just a random Wall Street broker um, hanging out with, you know, rich royalty and a gangster and everyone's all, and, right. and a nightclub singer and they could all hang out and they could all be equal, you know, men and women, rich yeah. and poor. And, and in this world of anything goes, in this sort of idealized version of America, mm-hmm. it was a place where everyone of all classes could come together and be friends and sing and dance together. Yeah, I think that's real. I think that's a really good assessment, Jeremy. I'm thinking about how it sort of like fetishizes that idea of like class intermingling, and also it's like a, that's real. That's that's an English major's take on it right there. But anyway, um, differs from the history major take, I think. You know. But anyway, also about like a world without consequences. You know. Yeah, that's a good take too. They're just on this right. boat and they can do whatever they yeah. want. Yeah, I mean that's the dream is to live in a world without consequences. Is anything goes about heaven, Jeremy? Let's take it back. Let's talk about Joel Gray. Um, Joel Gray in the role. What a revelation. What a revelation. He's so good. You know? I mean, I wonder if he's ever going to age I mean, out of excellence. I don't think so. I mean, it's truly, in some ways, a fresh take on the, the character. I think that's also part of what sustained that show, is like this interesting little old man who was, you know, in, in a sense, like, really non-traditional casting for that role. So tell me, so I don't actually know what it's traditionally like. Tell me about your community theater version of Public Enemy Number 13. Well, isn't it always just like kind of like a young guy who does like a gangster accent? That's not a gangster accent. So, cut, that, cut that out. <laughs> I don't know if I will. Um, so, yeah, so I've never seen any other version of this, but that makes so much sense that I imagine right. it has to be true. Yeah, right? I mean, I think so. Maybe I'm wrong here, but I think it's usually a, a sort of an age-appropriate gangster and you know kind of somebody playing at this macho-ness instead you have joel gray who like still manages to command all this power because he's sort of a queen of broadway you know but he's also in this little suit and like you know just an adorable little person in pink makeup and you know it's impossible for it not to be joel gray anyway so i thought it just uh lent itself to like a really like innocent fun that's just like this silly old man it's a, it's a really know? inspired casting choice yeah and, and if for some reason you're morally yeah. averse to checking out any of this uh on the uh youtube bootleg you can just yeah. listen to the soundtrack like again like the plot 
doesn't matter. Just listen to the soundtrack of the 2011 version and you'll get everything you need. You'll get everything you need except for the dancing and for that, watch the Tony performance and that'll give you there and you can see everything you need. There's a pretty good Letterman one, right? Yeah. Isn't she on like Letterman or something? It gives a really good performance. Yeah, there were two... Like, I think that's the Blow Gabriel Yes, you're one. right, you're right, you're right. Um, and if it wasn't Letterman, <laughs> yeah, it was like the Today Show or something like that. And something, something, yeah. I've, I've seen that too. Extraordinary, though. And that's a hard gig, too. Sorry, I'm popping out here. But, like, doing an excerpt of a Broadway show on a TV show, like a morning TV segment, must be so hard. You're just so out of context, yeah. you know? I mean, Sutton Foster is the best person on Broadway right now. Um She's extremely consistent, and I don't say that to mean that she's not also excellent at other things, but you know what I mean? Like, she's just a workhorse. Like Yeah, she's amazing. I've, you know, she never breaks. I've actually been lucky strong. to see her live in two other shows. I saw her in Shrek, actually. Wait. Which might have... What? I was about to say Shrek was my first ever Broadway show. No, when I was a little... Not a little kid, but when I was younger, I saw Hairspray, and then my second time in New mm. York, I saw Shrek with her as Princess Fiona. I've seen her in two other shows, Mine are different than yours. And then though. my other one, I saw was, her. Uh, so my other show I saw her in was go ahead, go ahead, finish. Recent off Broadway, Sweet Charity, which was like this tiny little theater, and she she played Charity. She was the star, and that was really really great. But uh, what what else have you seen? Oh, but she was amazing. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I did a bad job, but now you finished your turn. All right, sharing narrative here. Um, I saw her in uh, Little Women as Joe who I identify strongly with. Um, and, you know, that musical, not a special musical, but we'll, that'll be way later if we ever talk about it. But she was, in fact, astonishing in it. Um, see what I did there, Jeremy? No, I don't. That's her big song. Oh, man, In Little guys. Women? Come on. Yeah, I Want to Be Astonishing is the big song. Whatever, I, it's I fine. started listening to the I first song her. on the soundtrack of that, and I just got bored and... And you go bored. Yeah. Look, I'm one of four girls. And, you know, it appeals to me just on a certain level. I'm also bookish and I like to wear pants. You know, Joe is it for That's me. True. But, That's true. you know, yeah, clearly spirit animal. Um, so anyway, um, moving on, though, uh, I saw her in, you ready for this? One of my first musicals. Mm, not my first, but one of the Are earliest. Are you going to say Millie? I saw her in Millie. Oh, my God. You saw her in Millie? I saw Millie? her in Millie. Wow. Yeah, I saw dream. her in Millie. And she... Ooh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm coming in hot today. Um, she was really good. She was extraordinary. Just fine. Also, like, really sexy in it. Just really, like, awesome. And this just, like, young breakout and such a good story attached to her. I, I'm jealous. With the, uh, yeah, well, she was the understudy. Yeah. She was just, you know, excellent. Um, that's another show we'll talk about. Yeah, definitely. Seems like she's in shows a lot where people pretend to be Asian also. Let's just Yeah, so that that's that that's known. that's her thing. I don't know if she'll ever be in one again though. I feel like that <laughs> I feel like that's over. Right. But two is still Yeah. Two is remarkable. Two is remarkable. You know? it's, I mean it's hard well, cause, to pick up. I mean Thoroughly Modern There's not that many. Thoroughly Modern Millie well, in no, many there's ways. A lot. Never mind. Like Thoroughly Modern not. Millie is sort of a callback to the sort of show that anything goes is, so Yeah. Um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. I mean she's also very classic, you know. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's let's steer yeah, ourselves so back Next here. number, anything I've goes. Taken us off the path. We've already discussed that. I think anything goes might be like the best production number of all time. And I say that having seen very few Broadway production numbers, but just like imagining a better one, you know. Hard I mean, to it's do. big. How do they do it? You know, I mean, it's so. It's just so big and fun. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what else to say about it. Um. It's just you know. It's like the only point is to just be doing sort of good Broadway stuff during it. You know. Yeah, I mean, just just like there's ta- isn't there? There's a t- big tap break too. That's huge. I, I mean, it's like it's like ten minutes long. I mean, it, stop listening to this and go watch yeah. a video of that, like the Tony performance of uh, 
um, anything goes if you haven't yet done that because it's uh, it's outstanding. Yeah, um, it's strong. It's real strong. Then nothing else important happens in the show. Blow Gabriel Blow happens. No, right. Um, mm-hmm. That's good. There's a video. That's my. That's the one that might have been on Letterman. Look, look that up mm-hmm. too. Again, has literally nothing to do with the storyline. Like suddenly Reno Sweeney, played by Ethel Merman slash right. Sutton Foster, is like pretending to be a preacher and she sings this song, and it's. It has nothing to do with anything. Anything. Not even like you couldn't even draw a loose sort of line between it. Yeah, like, like anything goes is kind of like, the, man, look at all these crazy people doing like crazy love stories. Anything goes in today's society, and then she starts singing the song. They don't even try mm-hmm. with Blow Gabriel Blow. It just is totally unrelated. <laughs> Truly, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I don't know. Who's. It's Gabriel the Angel Gabriel, right? Yeah, because I guess she's talking about their sins. So, I mean, okay, like, I'm saying they don't try to make it related. I'm trying they, to... They, they put up a flimsy little thing, like, she's a preacher now, but they don't explain <laughs> why, and then, like, she's saying, like, oh, confess your sins, like, well, you know what, blow Gabriel, blow. So, like, they, they do try to construct something, but it's clearly, like, they wrote the song, blow Gabriel, blow, and then we're right. like, okay, how do we... Yeah. How do we put I like imagining the logic of them being like, how do we do this? You know what? Oh, maybe... Uh, she'll just pretend to be a, a preacher for this song. That'll work. And they were like, yeah, that's fine. I'll accept that. And, like, that was where musicals were at, that you could kind of just pretend, you know? Do, do you have Do you have anything yeah. else you want to talk about? Like, any any numbers in the show? Do I have anything else I want to talk about in the show? Um, gee, I don't know. No, I think we've encapsulated sort of the whole the whole thing. I think we've I think we've hit the main points. I mean, if we want to talk about the ending, you know, it's a happy ending as expected. Um, in some ways, it blows its load early, you know. Not early, but the the ending's not important to determine the value of the show, yeah. right? Because value just doesn't even lie in the plot, you know? Yeah, in most musicals, Act 1 is... It's longer, there's more of the plot, it's more important than Act 2, sort of like what result... Right. Whatever tension came from the end of Act 1, or else maybe Act 1 ends on a high note, and then Act 2 starts off with some new tension and then resolves it, which is what this one does. Like, the main guy gets put in the break and then gets resolved. But Act 2 often is not as good as Act 1... But this show especially mm-hmm. suffers from that. Um, act two is, I find, pretty boring, other than Blow Gabriel Blow. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's a, I think that's a good assessment. Um, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I, do you have mm-hmm. anything else you want to talk about before we get into the ratings? No, I mean, I think the big things, you know, talking about its place culturally, talking about like what the actual value of the show is, I think, I think we've hit it. I'm satisfied with our discussion. All right. I think so. So next up... We will now each give a ranking, mm. a rating, from 1 to 10 on, was this show important? Great. Hmm. Eh, I don't think it was. I mean, I, don't, I wasn't there. All right, I've, I've decided. Okay. I've decided. Did you, did you decide? I, I have my number. What's your number? My number is... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a six and a half. Okay. Six and a half. Why? Can you elaborate on your six and a half? Well, it's complicated. You know, it's it sort of epitomizes a form. You know, and I think for that, that's why it's as high as it is, um, because you know, important in terms of sort of like it was like a temperature check. It was a litmus test of the age. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I, I I deem it important for that. You know, it gets done again and again. It's a part of the canon. Um, you know, was it important at the time? Hard to hard. I mean, sure, it was a phenomenon, you know? So that that's why it's as high as it is, you know, but actually not 
valuable in a lot of other yeah, ways. So actually, so, I, Six and I a had a very similar thought. I gave it a five, and my thought mm-hmm. was, mm-hmm. at the time it was less than a five, because I don't know if it actually changed anyone's mind about what Broadway should be, mm-hmm. but if we're talking about its effect on the form, mm-hmm. we're not just talking about the effect it had on 1935 and 1936. We're talking about the effect it has now, mm-hmm. and we, I sort of mentioned how Thoroughly Modern Millie, which is a 2002 show, got a lot from Anything right. Goes, and shows to this day, like when you're sort of hearkening back to that good old old style of Broadway, like pre-Oklahoma, you're hearkening back to anything right. goes. And the, and the people who are sort of hearkening back to those old style musicals, they're not watching and listening to like every single musical. There's a couple they have in their minds as, as the standouts, as the classic. Mm-hmm. And these are like, you know, the old Gershwin, Cole Porter, uh, Irving Berlin shows. Yeah. And, and this... It's the canon. Yeah, and this is the pinnacle of the canon. So I give it a five. And I, I sort of regret... Almost, I almost regret now not giving it higher, but no, I can't change it. We, we came up with our scores independently, and, and they're locked in. Right. They're locked in. No, and it's good. You know, we're just determining the metric here. All right, great. Wasn't important. Hannah, six and a half. Jeremy, five. Okay, and the next one is, was it good? Relative to the shows of its time, was it good? Um, I have my score. Uh-huh. Do you have yours? Yeah. All right, lay it on me. Eight. Okay. Right? Yeah. I, yeah, I, gave, I think not even needs to be discussed, you know? Yeah, What'd you give? I gave it a nine. Great. All right, cool. Yep. Mm-hmm. Easy enough. Okay, and then our final category, and I actually haven't, given, I haven't thought of mine yet. Our final category is, is it good now? How does it stack up to other shows? Um, if someone wanted to put on Anything Goes, you know, at the local regional theater, a new off-Broadway re- production, how would it compare to any other show that could go in that spot? And uh, I think. All right. Well, okay. I, I've I've got I've got a score now. Um, I don't know. What did I give Old Man River? I gave it a two. You gave it a two. Yeah, Showboat. All right. I mean, okay, sure. I decided. Okay. What are you, What are you gonna give it? I think a three and a half. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's racist and uh, has some really good numbers. Yeah. So I gave it a five. You know, I gave it a like five. And old and not good. Because it, it opened only interesting. It opened only six years ago and was a smash hit. Everyone loved it. Right. It won a Tony. Um, and it is very popular. And, and the thing is, it, since they're changing it every single time they revive it, it would be so easy to cut out yeah. the yellow face bits. It, yeah, cut out the It would be so easy part. to cut that mm-hmm. out and then just you know make it like a light, flimsy musical centered around these giant showpiece numbers, like anything goes. Um, Right. And so I'm, I'm only going to give it a five because, I mean, there's, like, dozens of musicals I like better than anything goes. But, mm-hmm. like, if it opened up off-Broadway right now, I would go. If it, if it, yeah. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I hear that. I mean, I think I'm thinking about, like, you know, the types of stories I hope get told, mm-hmm. right? I'm also, like, I'm thinking about it, and I think, in a more competitive way, yeah. I think. I think a five is baseline, like... like Below five is bad, and above five is good, so five is kind of just, for me, five yeah. is just baseline. See, I think I'm, like, holding my stories to a much higher level here, which is good. We'll learn. We'll learn what we value. That's part of the fun of this ranking, yeah. you know? That's very fun. Yeah, so for me, I'm like, yeah, so for me, you know, I'd, I'd hope, yeah, I'd hope we tell other stories, but I'd, I might still go watch the Broadway version of Anything Goes uh, right after we finish this, and that speaks to your point. Yeah, so let's see you know? the total. Uh, 19 plus 18, I think, is 37. 19 plus 18 is 37? Sounds right to me. Okay, so this is in second place 
Showboat had a score of 42. Mm. This has a score of 37. Did it? Right, it had really high marks in one category, right? Yeah, we gave Showboats, um, I gave it 10s in was it important and was it good. You gave it 9s in was it important and was it good. And we both gave it 2s in is it good. So even though we both prefer Anything Goes as a show, because of the historical significance of Showboat, it beats Anything Goes. Right, that makes sense. And, and they're close. I mean, right, I think that makes sense. Yeah, I think you know, it makes, like back, right now it's yeah. 42 to 37. I feel like we're going to get a much bigger variance in the future. And that it, like when we look back, these will mm-hmm. be relatively close to each other. In the rankings. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, what do we call that in math when when a, there's a cluster? Like the box, what do they call that? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, but I don't know what it is. I, we keep talking about math. <laughs> it's a visual, it's a podcast. I don't know what we're thinking. I don't know, it's on the brain tonight. We keep doing this, we keep anyway. talking about math um, in this podcast. Um, right. We probably won't stop. Probably not. So we're gonna do some, I have to do some quick adding every night. <laughs> to make sure you get every episode of the Broadway Binge Podcast, be sure to subscribe to us on any podcast app, or you can find us on our website at broadwaybinge.podbean.com. We have a Facebook page called Broadway Binge, and we're on Twitter at Broadway underscore binge. Please rate and review us on iTunes. That'll really help people discover us. Yeah, so that was it. Anyway. That was Anything Goes. Uh, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Next up, we're going to be talking about... Uh, Porgy and Bess uh, by George and Ira Gershwin. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Okay, great. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, All right, well, we're out. Yeah. That's going to be a very good one. I saw the uh, one. Stay tuned for next time. Yes. Um, and thank you for tuning in to Broadway Binge.